0: You're listening to To Succeed, Just Let Go, a podcast that'll change how you think and change your life. I'm Willie Horton and I'm a psychologist, been helping people change their lives since 1996. Broadcasting from the French Alps, I'm delighted to have you along. Let's take this week's step in the right direction. You've probably heard me talk about what I call the two-piece jigsaw before how we really only need to get two things right to ensure that we live whatever life we'd love to live. There are really only two steps involved. Now, one of those steps you have to take every day. That's the first piece of the two-piece jigsaw. And that is, every day, you need to ensure at the start of the day, you are in the right state of mind. In other words, a present state of mind. In other words, a state of mind where you're not being distracted by or sabotaged by your own thoughts, the 70,000 thoughts that we've talked about many times before. Just as an aside, but an important aside, if you don't ensure that you're in the right frame of mind first thing in the morning, as soon as anything goes wrong, and that could be, by the way, not getting the temperature right in the shower, you're going to start reacting, rather than taking whatever action is necessary to ensure that you do the right thing during the course of the now, because each now matters. Once you start reacting, you're already on a slippery slope that for most people is irretrievable on the same day for the simple reason that once you go down that slope, you're not going to be in a clear enough state of mind to say to yourself, whoa, I need to stop. I need to get myself into the right state of mind. So it's very important that we understand the significance of the first piece of the two-piece jigsaw and the extent to which we need to take that proper action first thing every day to ensure that I start my day in the way in which I wish to continue it. We know how we actually take that proper action first thing every morning and that is through sitting down and formally meditating. It doesn't have to be according to any strict set of traditional meditative guidelines, it has to be what turns you on. Because ultimately, that's all we're talking about. You know, an awful lot of people have said to me over the years, Oh, meditation switches me off. Meditation enables me relax. Meditation enables me check out. No, meditation switches you on. Meditation readies you, electrifies you for the action that you need to take. Meditation enables you check in to the real reality of your own life in the here and now. Not the, if you pardon my French, bastardized version of reality that normal people take as given as a result of the way in which their mad minds, unregulated by meditation, create a mess that they call their own version of reality a mess that they actually call life. It isn't. Now, when I say you need to do this first thing in the morning, I don't mean the minute you get out of bed. Some people are not good morning people. Some people are not early risers. Some people need to have a shower or a cup of coffee before they are feeling awake or alive at all. What I mean by first thing in the morning is before your day gets going. So that could be after your shower. It could be after your first cup of coffee. If it's after your first cigarette, you have a whole other set of issues that you need to deal with. It has to be done before you go out into the big bad world. And I actually mean big bad world because the big bad world is populated by people Largely, almost all of the people who populate the big bad world are people who will not have taken the necessary step that you will have taken by meditating before your day gets going. And it is a big bad world as a result because you're constantly being assaulted by normal crazy people, constantly being assaulted by people who do not know their own mind constantly being urged to come into the parlour of their own dramas, come into their little world. So it makes themselves feel a little better about themselves, given that they don't feel good about themselves in the first place, given that they don't know who they are because they didn't switch on their minds properly in the morning and get a sense of how it feels to be switched on and tuned in. So let me recap, because i made a couple of important points in relation to this, the first of the two-piece jigsaw. You need to do it at a time that turns you on first thing in the morning. Some people, as I said, are not morning people, and therefore, you know, they might attempt to meditate before they have really woken up at all, with the result that they actually fall asleep during their meditation. You do it when it turns you on. You do. What turns you on? Now, let's dwell on this for a minute, because I mentioned a moment ago that you don't have to meditate for a set period of time, according to some traditional set of rules. If you ever practiced transcendental meditation, you will have been told that you need to meditate for 20 minutes in the morning and 20 minutes in the evening. Now, before we go any further, you don't meditate for 20 minutes in the evening because meditation tunes you in and turns you on. Late in the evening, you want to allow your mind to settle so that you get a good night's sleep, so scrub that one. If you were taught classic vipassana meditation, you will have been told that you need to meditate for 60 minutes in the morning and 60 minutes in the evening. Okay, so now from 24 hours available time in the day, suddenly you're at 22 hours available time. Nobody! Who has a busy life to live and responsibilities that they must meet is going to set that time aside. So, you know, if you're going to pursue some form of purest idea of meditation, you're actually setting yourself up for failure rather than success. I would suggest that six or seven or eight minutes first thing in the morning is more than sufficient for the vast majority of people to develop a practice that will restructure the very fabric of their brain and enable them experience the present moment in a totally different way, thereby changing their lives. Some people I know will meditate for a bit longer. A couple of people with whom I work have meditated for maybe only four or five minutes during the course of their mornings, but I have encouraged them, with success I have to say, to get up to about seven or eight minutes, because four minutes is hardly enough time for you to catch your breath. Which leads me on to the next thing I want to talk about in relation to turning yourself on. The most widely practiced way of meditating is by focusing on the breath. A whole variety of meditative traditions encourage you to focus on your breath, either through just your nostrils or through your nostrils and mouth. Breathing exercises simply don't do it for some people. For example, I had a client a number of years ago who, when I sat down with him one-to-one, face-to-face, discovered that he could not breathe through his nose. And in fact, he hadn't breathed through his nose since he had broken his nose as a teenager. But he was so unclear in his mind, so unaware, so disconnected from the reality of even his own body, that it took an attempted breathing meditation to discover that he couldn't breathe through either nostril. He was breathing through his mouth all of the time. It explained, by the way, why his wife would beat him up in the middle of the night for the snoring. But anyway, that's another thing altogether. So in other words, breathing meditation is not something that I would recommend to somebody like that. There are other people who are turned on by breathing meditation more than anything else. Some people will turn themselves on through counting their breath, maybe only counting four breaths and going back to start at one. Some people will count up to ten. Other people will modulate their breathing. In other words, deep breathing, slow breathing, interspersed with more regular breathing or even short breathing. There are a whole variety of techniques. Some people will just use the ordinary cadence and rhythm of their ordinary everyday breath. But as I said, for some people, breathing simply doesn't turn them on. Now, I've used that phrase a number of times and I'll come back to it again in a minute. There are other forms of meditation. You could meditate by focusing on the sounds around you or the sounds within you for that matter. Some people with whom I work who describe their real inner selves as their inner voice, that's an immediate sign that they are what psychology calls auditory people. In other words, they make sense of the world through what they're hearing, if you hear what I mean. if you hear what I'm saying. They're not turns of phrase, by the way. If somebody says that to you, they are an auditory person, if you see what I mean. Obviously, an auditory person won't say that. A visual person would say that. And for visual people, normal meditation or the normal practices of meditation may not turn them on because most traditional meditation prescribes that you do the exercises with your eyes closed. What if you're a visual person? Couldn't you just sit and watch the trees dance in the wind? Couldn't you just sit and watch the flames dancing in the fire? Couldn't you just sit and watch the snow falling gently and mesmerically? Couldn't you just sit in a cafe, having your morning cup of coffee, and watch the world go by? All these things that I've just mentioned are meditation. Now, I know some people who might be traditionalists would be horrified by what i just said but let's look at what Thich Nhat han a master meditator actually suggested as a meditation he suggested that you go for a walk to go for a walk that is a moving meditation and it is a meditation where you use all your five senses Tick not hand in the same book, the little book that I'm quoting is called The Miracle of Mindfulness, suggests that washing the dishes to wash the dishes is a meditation. Drinking a cup of tea to drink a cup of tea is a meditation. So actually your morning coffee could be a meditation. But the more traditional forms of meditation, as I said a moment ago, require that you close your eyes and therefore focus either on your breathing or what you're hearing, That's the second one I mentioned a minute ago, or what you're feeling. The Upasana meditation is very much focused on what you are feeling in and through your body. And what I mean by that is obviously on the surface of your body, we're all familiar with an itch, which would be on the surface of your body. We'd also be familiar with the rumbling of our stomach, which obviously is not on the surface of our body. In other words, there are a variety of ways in which you can focus on what you are feeling, from, for example, the weight of your body in the seat of the chair, to the way in which the palms of your hands are resting as you meditate perhaps palms up, perhaps palms down, perhaps joined, perhaps separated. You do what turns you on. That is the key point I am labouring here, and I'm deliberately labouring it because people really do tie themselves in knots in relation to the rules and regulations of meditation. There are no rules. There are no regulations. It is what turns you on. Now. I've used that phrase so many times at this stage, because that is what we are trying to do. Meditation, you must remember, it may be a spiritual practice, and for many it actually is. But meditation, first and foremost, from my perspective, and from the perspective of what we have been talking about here in this podcast, is a mental exercise to enable you engage the parts of the brain deliberately that no other exercise in this world will enable you do in the ordinary course of your everyday life. Now I need to clarify that. If you're a base jumper or a paraponter, I'm not sure what that is in English, people who jump off mountains uh, with kind of a parachute over their head, Uh, parapont in French. If you're into extreme sports, you will engage those parts of your brain that I'm talking about as a result of the rush, the excitement that you get by participating in the extreme sport. Well, you know, if you're in the middle of a difficult interview, or meeting at work, or your colleagues are getting at you, or your teenagers are shouting at you, you cannot say to them, hold on, I need to go out for three hours and jump off a mountain to turn that part of my brain on. No, the only scientifically validated way of engaging the parts of the brain that we need to live our lives to the full is meditation. The meditation that I'm talking about every morning is like hopping up on the treadmill in the gym to ensure that you have done your mental training for the day ahead. Unlike the gym, every time you get up on the treadmill of meditation, you build on what you've already done. You get better and better you go further and further deeper and deeper and again unlike the treadmill the physical treadmill in the gym if you didn't meditate for say six months and i know one person who hasn't meditated for a couple of years who actually said to me when i encouraged him to meditate again he emailed me the first morning he restarted his meditation after a two-year gap and said oh it feels like i never stopped And it feels like you've never stopped for the simple reason that when we meditate, we don't just engage the parts of the brain that nothing else can engage. We actually restructure those parts of the brain and those parts of the brain become permanently new structures in our brain. So we can always go back to where we left off. And that leads me to another important point because some people will say to me that they feel guilty when they don't meditate. Or they notice their day is worse when they don't meditate. Let's deal with those two things separately because guilt stems from useless thought. In meditation you must remember, or in practicing our meditation, what we're trying to do is leave useless thought behind. A wonderful analogy for that. I was on my fortnightly Zoom with my program owners a couple of weeks ago and one of the girls said that when a thought a useless thought floats into her field of consciousness. She says to herself, oh, you're just like a children's bubble. You'll burst. And that's exactly what happens. These thoughts, as we know from previous conversations, have no power over us until we actually give them our energy and attention. Meditation enables us to let those thoughts pass by, which goes all the way back to the point I made right at the beginning of today's episode, that when we set our minds properly during the first part of our day before it gets going, we can ensure that we let the 70,000 thoughts that otherwise sabotages drift on by and have no impact on what we are actually doing, what action we're actually taking and how we are behaving ourselves in the here and now as a result of our practiced presence of mind. In other words, if you're listening to this now and you're feeling guilty because you didn't meditate earlier today, isn't that just a useless thought? Let it go. Let that little bubble burst or float away. There is no such thing as guilt other than how you construct it in your own head. In the same way, there's no such thing as fear other than how you construct fear in your own head. We've talked about that before, no doubt we'll talk about it again. But what are the people who say to me that my day is worse as a result of my not meditating today? Now, somebody said that to me in a group conversation a couple of weeks ago, and somebody else in the group said, well, you know, think about what you've just said, or actually reflect on what you've just said, because we're trying to stop thinking, trying to disengage our thinking mind. Reflect on what you've just said. Isn't it stupid that you wouldn't meditate every morning? But... Say you've realized that your day has got worse as a result of your not having meditated first thing in the morning. It's never too late to take seven or eight minutes. And even if you couldn't find seven or eight minutes during the course of your busy day, and by the way, that's probably you making excuses as to why you couldn't give yourself a little me time, you could go out and walk in the park and go for a walk to go for a walk, or you could eat your sandwich at lunchtime to eat your sandwich at lunchtime, slowly, mindfully, because as we said earlier on, that is a form of meditation. But even if you were stupid enough, or believed your excuses enough to not find seven or eight minutes during the course of the day you could always mini meditate now online program owners know the power of mini meditation it only takes between 90 and 120 seconds to effectively press the reset button what button are we resetting the button that turns you on because that is what we are actually talking about here. What do I mean by turning you on? As I said a minute ago, we know for a fact that meditation is the only way that can engage the parts of the brain that you need to have involved in your life, moment to moment, during the course of today not at some point in the future, today, because today is when you're living your life. You're living your life moment to moment in the here and now. Specifically, those parts of the brain are your attentional spotlight. In other words, where you pay attention. Now, the bizarre thing is that we've known from almost 100 years of psychology that a normally minded person cannot even turn on their own attentional spotlight. Never mind point it in the direction that they need to point it in to do what they need to do today to get to where they want to go. When we meditate, say, say, say today is the first day you ever meditated in your life. That would mean that today is the first day you have ever taken control of your attentional spotlight. I know it was on automatically up to the age of 12 or 13 when it automatically switched off, we know that from evolutionary psychology, we know it from developmental psychology, but before the age of 12 or 13 you couldn't control as to where you shone your attentional spotlight. If you could, you wouldn't have taken the psychological snapshots that led to the thoughts that now sabotage you as an adult. So up to the age of 11 or 12, the attentional spotlight was on, particularly, as we've said before, during the third year of your life, when you took your fundamental psychological snapshots that gave you the false impression of who you think you are. But after the age of 12 or 13, the attentional spotlight was turned off altogether. The only time it would ever come on would be if you found yourself in a life-threatening situation or witnessed loss of life. If today is the first day you've ever meditated, today is the first day in the whole of your life that you have taken control of your attentional spotlight. That in itself is life changing because now you are taking control of that to which you pay attention. Now you are taking your attention away from the thoughts that hold you back, and with practice you are going to develop your ability to control your attentional spotlight, not just during meditation, but in the cut and thrust of your day. And by the way, learning to have full control of that to which you pay attention during the cut and thrust of your day is aided and abetted by the mini meditation that I mentioned a couple of minutes ago. But when we meditate, we don't just take control of our attentional spotlight, we restructure it. As I said earlier on, every time you meditate, you go further. And in in this restructuring process, we restructure it to the point where ultimately, sooner or later, and it happens very quickly for some people, your attentional spotlight is on and under your own control throughout the greater part of every day. Yeah, we all slip up, we're all only human, but certainly through the the greater part of every day. But also when we meditate, we engage the subcortical brain. We reacquaint ourselves with that part of us that is who we really are. We reacquaint ourselves with the part of us that simply does just what we need to do, here and now, in this moment, effortlessly to enable us get to where we want to go. Where do you want to go? That is the second piece of the two-piece jigsaw. And we need to devote a whole episode to that for now. Why is it only a two-piece jigsaw? Well, first of all, all I need to do to live the life I would love to live. Listen to those words carefully. I didn't say live the life I want. It's better than that. All I have to do to live the life that I would love to live, or the life that's best for me, which is better again, all I have to do is turn up to it. That is why I use the phrase turn on so many times earlier on. All I have to do is turn up to it, but turning up to it without a notion of why I've turned up to it means I'm just going to stand in the midst of my life, and yes, I'll have peace of mind, but I will simply be standing in the midst of my life as the moments of my life pass me by. I'll be aware of them, which is a thousand steps better off than using my mind normally where my life is passing me by and i don't even realize that my life is passing me by but what you need to do is turn up to the here and now and know why you have turned up to the here and now which is the second piece of the jigsaw the two pieces of the jigsaw only work together because presence without an understanding of why you're present means that you will be happy You'll have peace of mind. You'll drift through your day and you'll drift and you'll drift. Knowing why you're here without presence of mind means that you have been daydreaming about the kind of life. You would love to live, but it's never going to actually take you anywhere because without presence of mind, you're not going to even know what you need to do. Never mind, do it. You're not even going to know what you need to do in the here and now to get you to where you'd love to go. But presence plus why, there are the two pieces of the jigsaw presence plus why will effortlessly lead you to the life that is best for you. The life that is way beyond what you think you want. And on that note, I'm gonna wrap up this episode. We're going to talk about the second piece of the two-piece jigsaw in our next episode. And then we'll take it from there because when people begin to understand how these two things fit hand in glove together and how they actually pan out in the middle of our everyday lives moment to moment they realize "Ah, i have the formula for living my life to the full Uh, not only do i have the formula it's a practical formula that works wonders today and i may not achieve my highest objectives or my life's purpose today but today i will immediately notice a difference as a result of turning up to my own life having turned myself on and knowing why i'm here i will talk to you again in our next episode you've been listening to to succeed just let go to get involved join me in my facebook group strangely enough called to succeed just let go and for more information visit www.willie-